Amen. If you have your Bibles, remain standing, please. Go to the book of Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 44. We're going to read just one verse there, and then we're going to move over to Philippians chapter 3, if you want to mark that as well. Matthew 13, verse 44. The Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Now, Philippians chapter 3, in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writing, the church at Philippi, pens these words, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. We are the circumcision and who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Is this not a beautiful picture of Matthew 13, 44 in demonstration? Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers do I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray. Father, We thank you for what we have in Christ. We thank you for what we have in Christ Jesus today. He is our treasure. He is our hope. He is our future. He is everything to us. We thank you that if we were to lose it all, as Paul did, all that the world has to offer, all that we've acquired, that if we have Christ, we still have more than enough. He alone satisfies, and we thank you for it today. He is the source of our joy, our hope, and our peace. Thank you, Father. Make your word real and pierce our hearts today with truth, we ask 
in Jesus' name. And church folks said, Amen. Well, last week I introduced our uh, theme for 2017, Treasuring Christ Together. When we talk about treasuring something or someone, what we mean is what you treasure is what you value most. There are many people, places, and things that we love in this world, and that's not a bad thing. But what we treasure is that thing which we value most. And our theme verse is what I read at the beginning, Matthew thirteen forty-four. this incredibly short but profound parable about the kingdom of heaven where this man discovers a hidden treasure in a field and he so desires to acquire this treasure that he, he covers it up and he goes away and he sells everything he has. He gets rid of it all and he does it, the Bible says, enjoy, not reluctantly. He sells it all that he might obtain that treasure. So last week we dealt with this. What is it that makes the treasure so valuable to make a man respond in this radical way, to want to give it all away in order to obtain that treasure. And more to the point, what is the message for us? What is it about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that makes it so valuable like a treasure? Well, the kingdom of heaven is used here. We talked about this last week. It's talking about God's spiritual reign. So to be a part of the kingdom is to be saved. It is to be a son or a daughter of God. It is to have eternal life. And there are many great benefits to being part of the kingdom of God. But what is it that makes it so incredibly valuable? Let's think about the, the present benefits of the kingdom. We have right now a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Here's the present benefits. We, we receive forgiveness. That's a good thing. We receive imputed righteousness, transformation, peace that surpasses all understanding. We receive spiritual gifts and are able to, to use those to serve the body of Christ. And so much more because we're in the kingdom now. But there's a, a sense of the kingdom that's yet to come. And when the kingdom comes in fullness, which will happen at the second coming of Christ, we'll enjoy many more benefits. No more sin. The battle will be over. No more sickness at all. No more death. No more crying. Enjoyment of the new heavens and the new earth. And so much more. And so all of these are incredible benefits that come to us as being part of the kingdom of God. But the best part of the kingdom, don't miss that, is God Himself. It is to know Jesus and to be with Him forever. You know, I I was thinking as I was preparing for this about my relationship with my wife. And, you know, there are many things I appreciate about her. She's a great housekeeper. She's a good cook. She has followed me from place to place and supported me as God has called me to different uh, places. You know, in ministry, we packed up from Winchester, moved all the way to Tucson, two years later to Colorado, and now back to Richmond. And she has been a, a, a faithful supporter of mine. But I didn't marry her, and I don't love her most because of those things she does for me. The thing I love about her most is Nikki. I like her. I love her. I Take everything else away, and as long as I have her, 
I have something beautiful. And it's like that with God. So many people receive Jesus, I'll say, because of the benefits. They have no, they have no uh, desire to make Him Lord. They want Him to be Savior. And, and they just, they, they use Him. I, I say this often, but it, it's true, especially today. He's like a cosmic vending machine or a cosmic bellhop, if you will. And they just ring the little bell or press, you know, B1, and here's what I get. I get my miracle. I get this. I get this. And, and they don't have any interest with Him. I, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to commune with you. But they sure like His benefits. But make no mistake about it. The greatest benefit, the greatest treasure of the kingdom of God is Christ Himself. And so today, I want to remind you of our goal as a church for 2017. And and always, it is this pursuit to, to see Christ in that way. That we would see Him as supremely valuable, infinitely beautiful, infinitely glorious. We have a tremendous Savior. He is the best of the kingdom. He's the best of the kingdom. So what we get most of being part of the the, the kingdom of God is, is this relationship with Jesus and the promise that we'll get to be with him forever. That's incredible. And so our aim is treasuring Christ together. That we would together as a community make sure, yes, we love our families. Yes, we love ministry. Yes, we love our church. Yes, we love our jobs, some of us. Um, And and all of those things. But most, most of all, we love Jesus Christ. And this is our goal as a church, to, to make sure that he's the forefront of our thinking, that he is the center of our lives, treasuring Christ together. And so today my goal is to show you through the scripture what it looks like to treasure Jesus in a very practical sense. And I'm going to do this over the next few weeks. There's no better picture of this in the Bible than that I know of at least than what we find in Philippians chapter 3. And I plan on getting through that entire text today. But when I, I started unpacking it this week, I realized we're not going to make it past verse 1 because one verse Philippians chapter 3 verse 1 is so incredibly rich I would do it in justice to just blow past it so today to begin with treasuring Christ together means this it means rejoicing in Christ together it means rejoicing in Christ it means to have the joy of the Lord and to walk in his joy so chapter 3 of Philippians begins with this admonition from the Apostle Paul, rejoice in the Lord. Everybody say that together this morning. Rejoice in the Lord. One more time. Rejoice in the Lord. That is not a suggestion. It is a command. And the New Testament talks a lot about joy, and yet it is something that so few Christians appropriate in their lives. I mean, we have become a a joyless church. I don't mean this church, but I mean the church as a whole. There are a lot of joyless Christians walking around, and this simply should not be. Today in the Word ran an article years ago that tells a story of a third century man who was anticipating death. And he penned these last words to a friend. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. 
But he writes, I've discovered in the midst of it a quietly, a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are Christians, and I am one of them, end quote. It's powerful. Yet I fear that it's not quite the testimony from most modern-day Christians. I'm afraid that we've become an almost joyless people. The, the joy of the Lord seems so absent in, in, in many Christian lives. And let me ask you this, as we're talking about treasuring Christ together, what does this say to the world about our Savior? When we walk around despondent all the time, our heads down, hung low, and barely making it, you know, and ah, I just don't know, you know, what does that say? Does that speak to the supremacy and the sufficiency and the glory of Christ? No. Is that going to make anybody want what you have in Christ? Absolutely not. So I want to give you three realities of Christian joy as we go together on this pursuit to make this joy a reality in our lives together today. Number one, joy is not dependent upon circumstances. You may say to me, well, well, Pastor, Christians do not display joy most of the time because this world is so incredibly horrible at times. It's the pressures of life and it's got them down and they just can't experience this type of joy. But you see... That's not an excuse, not a valid one, because one of the things that the Bible teaches us about Christian joy is that it does not fluctuate based on circumstances. Now, the Apostle Paul pins these words, rejoice in the Lord. And I want you to understand he's not writing from Cancun. Anybody can rejoice there. Amen. Try me. No, he's writing from prison. Paul, his entire Christian life, he suffered, he was beaten, put in prison, so on and so forth. He had a tough life, and he's the one writing, rejoice in the Lord, and he practices what he preaches. Real Christian joy, this is so freeing to me, real Christian joy cannot be extinguished by the circumstances of this world. Nobody can take it from you if your joy is in Christ. There's a, um, there's a great scripture that the, the prophet Habakkuk gives us in Habakkuk 3.17 and 18. It says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce, produce of the oil fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Now, this is an agricultural community. Understand, this is their livelihood. And here's what he says. So this is a bad day when all of this happens. But he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. What's the prophet saying? That even amid suffering and loss, the prophet knows that his joy is not in circumstances, but in God himself. So, the second reality of Christian joy is this, that Christ is the source of our joy. 
And, and many of you would say, well, we know this. This is nothing new. Then why aren't we walking in it? Christ is the source of our joy. Notice what Paul says here. He doesn't just say rejoice, but he says rejoice what? In the Lord. Years ago, there was an article in Turning Point about the fact that men have pursued joy in every avenue imaginable. And then they listed, they gave us a list of where we know joy cannot be found. To begin with, joy cannot be found in worldliness. Voltaire, who was an 18th century writer, historian, historian, and philosopher, was an infidel of the most pronounced type, and he wrote, I wish I had never been born. Joy does not come in living it up in the world. Joy can't be found in pleasure. Lord Byron, who was a poet and politician, he was a leader in the Romantic movement, lived a life of pleasure if anyone did, and he wrote, The worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. Joy can't be found in money. Jay Gold, who was a 19th century millionaire, American millionaire, had plenty of money. And when dying, he said, I suppose I'm the most miserable man on earth. Joy can't be found in position or fame. Lord Beaconsfield, former prime minister of the United Kingdom, enjoyed more than his share of both. And he wrote, youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, old age a regret. These are some happy folks. Joy can't be found in military glory. Alexander the Great conquered the known world in his day, and having done so, he wept in his tent before he said, there are no more worlds to conquer. Never satisfied. So where then is it that joy is found? The answer is simple. It's in Christ alone. There is an insatiability that comes when you search for joy in any other place. If it's in money you're looking for joy, you'll never get enough. You'll, you'll make hundreds of thousands and you'll want millions. You, want, you make millions, you'll want billions. You get billions, you'll want children, so on and so forth. It's never, ever enough. Same with power, fame, anything. These things were never meant to satisfy you. They were never meant to bring us joy. The only way to be content, the only way to find joy, hear me today, is in Jesus Christ. The reason that Christian joy doesn't dissipate with unpleasant circumstances is because circumstances did not give us the joy, so circumstances have no right to take the joy away. That's freeing to me. That's empowering to me. Amen? If a circumstance, if money didn't give me joy, the lack of it can't take it away. If power didn't give me joy, the taking away of power cannot give me or take away my joy. See, Christ is a solid foundation. He is unchanging. And if our joy is in Christ, our joy is going to be solid. Amen? No matter what the world or the devil himself throws your way. John 15.10, Jesus alludes to this. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you, watch this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Hallelujah. 
You don't just get a little piece of joy. Your joy can be full. And friends, this is what the world is looking for. They're looking for satisfaction. They're looking for purpose and meaning to life. And we have the answer. But if we walk around as a joyless people, we're not, we're, we're not telling the world where to find this joy. We'll tell them, well, we go to church and, yeah, we read our Bibles and we do this, but, yeah, it stinks on this side too. That's what our lives are proclaiming to them. We need to be people of joy. And if we're walking with Christ, if we're adhering to His will, if we know Him and love Him and treasure Him, we will be a joyous people. It will come. Now, let me say this. It doesn't mean that you can't ever be sad. But when you are brokenhearted even, when the worst of circumstances come your way, in faith, you look beyond those circumstances. Hallelujah. And you look to Christ. You trust Him. You love Him. And deep down, you have this solid trust, this sense of joy, this faith in future grace. And you experience joy even in the toughest circumstances. And it makes no sense to the world. They say, how, how could you be content when it seems like so many things are going wrong in your life? And you see the door this opens and you get to testify about the goodness of Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is the source of our joy. And, and let me just say this joy that is found in Christ does not come by working harder. It's a gift. It's miraculous. And it comes by way of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The, the joy is, is a fruit of the Spirit. So as you adhere to the Spirit, the, the more that you listen to the Spirit and follow the leading of the Spirit, the more joy that's going to be present in your life. So the Spirit, you could say, appropriates that joy of Christ into our lives. Okay? How many are thankful for the precious Holy Spirit today? Amen. The third reality of, of Christian joy is this. It serves as a good indicator of our spiritual health. Joy serves as a good indicator of our spiritual health. Look what Paul says. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. He's saying, I repeat myself. And he says, it's safe for you. Now, why does Paul repeat himself in this matter? Because he knows the importance of joy. And I believe Paul knows it's a good indicator of our spiritual health. Joy serves as a great gauge, if you will, to our spiritual health. So if a Christian is constantly joyless, that's a good indicator that something's wrong in that life. Most likely your, your, your eyes are not on the Lord. Most likely you're not reading your Bible like you should. You're not spending time in the Word. You're not savoring the Word of God. Most likely your, your prayer life is failing. One of the first things to go is joy. So it's a, isn't it a great gauge of where you are with Christ? A joyless church, let's talk about us as a community for a moment. A joyless church signifies a spiritually unhealthy church. And I, I just brag on you for a little bit. When, when our um, district superintendent of the Assemblies of God came to be with you, 
I said, uh, I always ask our, our guest speakers, what, what do you like and, and what can we change to, to make it better? And he said, this place has, has turned into an incredible place of joy. He said, the smiles on the people's faces. He said, just the, the, the welcomeness of people and just their happiness in God was an incredible. And he said, that doesn't exist everywhere. But when we start to see our joy as a community go, we know that there's some spiritual unhealth in our midst. Are you with me? Coal mining is an incredibly dangerous job. Some of you, you know that. One of the great hazards in the mining field is the, the, the presence of this silent, deadly gases that are in the mines. You have carbon monoxide and methane and carbon dioxide. And now in modern day, you know, anytime there's a, a threat of these gases that are these kind of silent killers, we have what? We have these carbon monoxide detectors, right? They're battery-powered, and they work, and they alert us to those dangers. But years ago, they didn't have this. So coal miners used something else to help alert them to these dangers. They brought caged canaries with them into the mines. Y'all look, you're like, oh, these poor little birdies. And the canary bird is, is very sensitive to the quality of air. So as long as the birds were chirping and singing, the miners knew that the air was safe, and they kept working. But when the gases were present, the first thing that would happen was these canary birds would lose their song. And they'd start kind of wobbling on the perch. And then eventually they would fall to the bottom of their cage. And Christian joy is like that singing bird. One of the first effects of spiritual decline, if you will, is the loss of joy. The loss of that song in your heart is a good indicator that maybe I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. Now, let me bring this around to what we're talking about, treasuring Christ together. Joy serves as an indicator of what we treasure most. It's a great indicator. You know, I ask you the question, what in life do you treasure most? What's your treasure? Most people would give the spiritual answer and they would say Jesus, but do you really treasure Christ above all things? One great way to look at this um, outside of joy is you look at your time, your talent, and your treasure. We gave our giving reports out last week. Look at how much you invested into the kingdom of God. Does that show that you treasure Christ above all things? What about, what about the way you spend your time? Look at your calendar. How much time do you spend in fellowship with the Lord and serving the church, the body of Christ, and sharing the gospel with the community? But those things come later. The first indicator that we're not treasuring Christ is the loss of joy. Because if you're treasuring Christ, your joy is going to be there. I promise you. Let's talk about the lack of joy for a moment and we'll end on something positive here. Joylessness is a clear sign that we're not treasuring Christ most. When we walk around again in a kind of despondency. And I'm not just talking about being sad, but I'm saying when there's a discontentment there. We ought to be alerted. Maybe my priorities are out of whack. Maybe my eyes are not on the Lord. Maybe I've got my eyes on the world. Maybe I've got my eyes on circumstances. Maybe I'm chasing dreams I was never meant to chase. 
Joylessness. It's a great indicator of whether or not you and I are treasuring Christ. But the presence of joy. Let's talk about that for a moment. Treasuring Christ together. See, it means that we fight for joy together. We help each other as a community. That's what I love about the size of this church. I want to grow, don't get me wrong. But I know most of you. We do life together. And we need to, you know, we, we introduce new members today. Part of that membership is saying we're going to hold each other accountable. If I become joyless in my life, I want you to ask me and say, Pastor, what's wrong? Are you not spending time with the Lord? Are you doing ministry rather at the, at the expense of communion with God? Because that's happened. And I wish at times somebody would come up and say, Pastor, I see this in your life. The canaries quit singing, and it's reason for alarm. See, we're, we're, we're fighting for this joy together because when we have joy together as a community and as individuals, you know what, you know what this screams to the world? Because they know we all have problems just like there's not a person in this world that's not going through something. That's not touched by pain or pressure, some kind of tribulation. Jesus said it, uh, John 16 He said, in this world, you might have, no, you will have tribulation. Now, he says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You're going to have it. But what he's saying here is in me, you can have peace. You can have joy. You can have life in the midst of it all. So you and I are screaming to the world in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering. We're screaming to the world that Christ is enough, that he's more than enough, that he's good, that he's awesome. We're, at, we're attesting to the supremacy of Christ, the preeminence of Christ, the glory of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the value of Christ. Hallelujah. I, I wish our neighbors, we have many neighbors on our, our street that don't go to church. As a matter of fact, last night I kept getting alerts. Our security cameras were picking up people pulling into the parking lots and parking. we got a couple party houses on the street. And they use our parking lot. We find beer beer cans in our parking lot sometimes on Sunday morning. And and people have said to me, well, you're just in the wrong place. I said, no, sir, no, ma'am. We're in the right place. This is exactly where I want to be. Hallelujah. But I wish on Sunday mornings, I hope I'm not out in the parking lot when you are. You leave before me, most of you. But I hope that when you leave today that these neighbors as they're maybe coming out of their houses or on their porch or whatever they might be, I hope that they see smiling faces and a little dance in the step. I hope they don't see us, you know, cutting people off as we're pulling out in the parking lot and and, and mad and hungry and, you know, ready to cut somebody. Um, No, I I hope that they see the love and the value of Christ. And I look around this room and I see some of you that have been through incredible pain over the last two years, two and a half years that I've been pastor. And I want you to know how much I commend you for smiling in the midst of pain. And I'm not just talking about being chipper. You you haven't always been chipper and you shouldn't be because pain is real. But deep down, you've kept coming to church. You've kept praising the Lord. I I, I just brought moved to tears at times as I know the pressure on your life. And I look back and I see your hands raised in the air as we're praising and worshiping God. As you can say as I'm preaching yes and amen to the word of God, that's incredible to me. 
It doesn't make sense to the world, but I hope that's the testimony that the world sees. I hope when you go to work tomorrow, I hope that they see one of the most joyous men or women in Richmond, Winchester, Lexington, wherever you're at, Berea. I hope that they see somebody that has unshakable joy. Somebody that they say, what is, what's wrong with you? Are you out of your mind? It's Monday morning. We've only had three cups of coffee. How are you already so joyous? Why do you do your work with such eagerness? Well, I do all things as unto the war, Lord. And you testify of the goodness and the value of Christ. And you're going to get to, if you live like that genuinely, genuinely, you will get to share Christ with somebody, I promise you, because they're going to want what you have. Go ahead, if you would, stand your feet with me. A couple of weeks ago, I received a request to go to hospice and see a man dying of stage 4 cancer. So I went and, and met this man for the first time there in a hospital bed. He shared his testimony with me that it, he's 72 now at 70 years old. When he was diagnosed with cancer, he realized how serious life was. And he began to think about eternity. And he put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Gloriously saved, and, and his wife Phyllis was telling me what a different man he's been in the last two years. But for the last two years, he's been incredibly ill. And I had just the other day, he was uh, I was in there last week, and... Because he had been so ill, he hadn't been able to be baptized. And uh, he so wanted to be baptized. And uh, you could just tell he was just kind of discontent. And I I shared with him that, you know what, the Lord knows your heart. We're saved by grace through faith. And yes, we should be baptized, but you literally physically haven't been able to. But he just communicated in some way that, listen, this is really important to me. And so I just, this is when it's important to be um, ready in season and out to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I never even considered this, but I just felt the Holy Spirit just lay on my heart to sprinkle him. So I played the uh, Presbyterian pastor for a moment. And we had a baptism ceremony. And uh, it was awesome. The whole family comes down. I had no clue what I was doing. I YouTube, you can YouTube anything now, how to sprinkle, and I got some weird things. But um, I, I, I watched a pastor, and uh, I, I said, listen, I, I don't have anything that they use. All I need is a little styrofoam cup. You just make with what you got, right? Amen? Use what you have. So they, they get this little cup and put some lukewarm water in it. And because he's so ill, I didn't want to pour it on him and, and things. And so I just I learned this online. I took a little... my hand dipped it in and I baptized you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It was incredible. It's incredible. And his little face, I mean, days away from dying, he, he had dwindled down, and this was a man's man at one time, I mean, a stout man, wasting away there in a hospital bed, down to some 85 pounds, and his face just lit up. I, he didn't even have, I don't think he had enough energy even to smile. But his face lit up. His countenance changed. And you could tell the peace of God that just flooded him. And I got to see him several times over the last couple weeks. And I want you to know he impacted me. 
Let me tell you why. Because here he is, the end of his life. None of the money matters anymore. None of the accolades matter. Nothing. It's just him. And he's wasting away. And he's moments from dying. And death can be fearful. It can be uncertain. It can be painful. And it was painful for him. But in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, he wasn't complaining. And he just had this incredible joy and peace. Not happiness. I'm not saying that he was, you know, laughing and cutting up. No, he was, he was very ill. No strength. It was, it was an incredible chore for him to get a straw to his mouth to take one sip of water. Yet, there was an incredible peace. An incredible joy deep-seated joy that was founded on Jesus Christ. And I bent down by his bedside, and I read these words that I've read to you many times, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So we don't lose heart. Oh, church, do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self, is being renewed day by day. And then Paul says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So in that hospice room, Weak and, fr- and, and frail, Glenn glorified Christ in an, in an incredible way. In the midst of pain, he still had joy. He, he wasn't chipper, but he demonstrated this joy and contentment. He was satisfied, if you will, in Jesus in the worst hours of his life. What a testimony to every nurse, to every administrator, to every janitor that walked in this room. To the sufficiency and the glory of Christ. 12.30 a.m. Saturday morning. I received the call from Phyllis. She says, Pastor. Ten minutes ago. Glenn passed away. And here's the thing. I'm preaching Glenn's funeral today. Glenn's okay. He's better than okay. To be absent from the bodies. To be present with the Lord. But here's what came to my mind when I got that call. Paul's words. To live as Christ. Even when you're in a hospital room, to live as Christ. And he, Paul says this. To die is gain. So if even death can't take our joy, <laughs> what do we have to lose? What, what can be done to us? Friends, we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We need to be a people of joy as we treasure Christ together may we real life community church be a people of incredible joy telling the world so loudly of his glory proclaiming to the world the goodness and the glory and the value of Jesus Christ will you join me in this pursuit will you join me in this pursuit really will you join me in this pursuit Will you hold me accountable and let me hold you accountable for joy as we treasure Christ together?